This is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. No, 1 through 12. Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. Suddenly, sages from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the one born king of the Judeans? For we have seen his star as its ascent and have come to, to reverence him. When King Herod heard this, he was shaken, and all Jerusalem with him, then calling together all the chief priests and religious scholars of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah would be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means are least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the sages and learned from them the time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and reverence him. When they had heard the king, they left, and there suddenly was the star that they had seen at its ascent going before them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they rejoiced. Their joy was exuberant. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and reverenced him. Then, opening their treasure, they had offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. All right, let's sing.
Let's begin with prayer. Holy One, as the mist that is Sophia's spirit, you wind your way into our life, knowing our most intimate stories. The stories of where we have been and the stories of where we are going. Be with us now as we continue to explore your stories to us, stories of messengers and of power and of greatness. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Full disclosure. I first wrote this sermon in January 2020 for Alki UCC. <clears throat> they were in the midst of pastoral transition, looking ahead toward action in the new year, not yet concerned with 20 seconds of hand washing, masks, Zoom, or vaccination. Again, in 2021, I delivered this sermon with some edits in a COVID-era epiphany service at Woodland Park Presbyterian, merely a few hours after we had all witnessed the insurrection at the Capitol. And so here you are, the third audience to a mostly four-year-old sermon. And here's my Presbyterian friend who's going to hear it for the third time. <clears throat> You are an audience living with COVID, just having experienced the seasons of Advent and Christmas through the rich storytelling traditions of our faith, through drama and puppets and sudden changes of venue. And as I begin, I am compelled to read to you as I have each of the previous times that I've given this sermon, a commentary on this text by David Schnasser Jacobson. With this text, he says, we are again in overly familiar territory. We need to read with discernment to understand it beyond the gauzy vision of Christmas manger scene coziness. Indeed, the popularization of Bible stories is a funny thing. So often, our mind is filled with details about these stories that simply don't exist anywhere in the Bible. Our childhood's memory shapes our, vision, shapes our mind's version of the Christmas story so that we see a remarkably clean and unlabored birth in a barn, <laughs> surrounded by sheep and cows and, and shepherds and three kings from the far east, and an angel at the apex of the barn keeping watch with a blazing star in the sky above them telling of the good news. Perhaps there was even a little percussion-clad child 
<clears throat> Pop culture has worked hard to solidify our understanding of who these wise men, these kings, these magi were. Whenever I hear the story, my mind immediately produces an image of the three figurines who represented them in my mother's nativity set. You know the one. Men of different ethnicities dressed in fine robes carrying chests of treasure. And they're all right there in the stable with Mary and Joseph, Jesus lying in the manger, the shepherds and all the animals. In reality, the shepherds and the magi never appear in the story together. We heard the shepherd's story a few weeks ago on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Luke tells us that shortly after the birth of Jesus, shepherds were sent by a messenger to see the glory of the birth of God. But he never mentions any kings or magi or wise men from the East. That story only exists in Matthew's telling, which doesn't mention shepherds. Matthew alone tells of magi from the East who traveled to Jerusalem upon seeing a miraculous astrological event. There's no indication that they were kings at all, or that they were all men, or that there were only three of them. On the contrary, magi is Greek for what we would now call an astrologer. These were Gentiles who kept a constant watch on the movements of the sky to discern prophecies. Upon seeing an unprecedented event in the West, they knew that that was ind an indication of divine birth, and they set off to pay their respects. It would not have been unusual for women to be among that group. And it likely would have been more than three. Scholars believe that the number three was settled on because three gifts makes for a cleaner story. In 1951, NBC commissioned a one-act opera about the travels of these kings. On Christmas Eve of that year, the very first production of A Mall and the Night Visitors was broadcast live on television. In this story of the Magi, Amal is a shepherd who walks with the help of a crutch. and He tries to tell his mother about what he's seen outside. An enormous star with a long tail as big as our window. His mother, who's used to his habitual lying, grows angry with him. She's even angrier when Amal tells her that a knock at the door is three kings come to visit them. The kings enter and tell the two peasants that they have come to find a king, and they show the rich gifts that they brought him. 
That night, Amal's mother tries to steal some of the king's gold. She's caught, and when the kings offer to let her keep the gold, explaining that the king they seek will not need anything but love to rule his kingdom, she returns it. Although it was commissioned to be performed live on TV, the composer, Giancarlo Minotti, wrote it with the intention of it living on, on stage. NBC continued to broadcast it every year on Christmas Eve from 1951 through 1966. Another production of it was broadcast then in 1978, which was replayed on cable throughout the 80s. It's gone on to become one of the most popular American operas ever written, and it's now performed throughout the country every year around Christmas time. In 2008, back when I still considered myself a professional actor, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to perform in a production of Amal. I played the King's Page. Now, you might have missed it when I mentioned him in the description of the show earlier, so let me just repeat that part. <clears throat> she is caught. But more on that later. First, I'm going to, to distract you with a seemingly unrelated story that won't come together until the end, like I do. That's how you can tell that this was originally written four years ago. I didn't do that part quite as well, but I digress. In southeastern France, about eight miles southwest of Bordeaux, is a small commune town called Du Lafitte which means made by God. It has a population of about 3,000 people and consists of a main street lined with houses painted in pastel shades of pink, blue, and pale green. Several bistros, shops selling nougat, provincial fabrics and pottery, and a large Protestant church. The village has a centuries-old tradition of protecting the persecuted. They gave refuge to the Huguenots in the 16th and 17th centuries, and in the 1940s, they went to great lengths to save Jewish children. The journey from the east to Jerusalem would have been long. It's unreasonable to believe that the Magi might have shown up on the night of Jesus' birth. Honestly, it's unlikely that they showed up on the year of Jesus' birth. In fact, let's just... These, they would have been back in the fields by now. If we read just beyond the text that we read today, we learn that Herod orders all of the children in and around Bethlehem who are two years old or younger to be killed based on the timing that the Magi told. This leads one to the conclusion that Jesus was likely entering his terrible twos. <laughs> By the 
time of the Magi's visit. Toddler Jesus is not something that we think much of. Imagine, after the star went dim, Joseph away, trying to provide for his family. Mary, alone, chasing after this troublesome two-year-old, throwing tantrums, thinking to herself, son of God, give me a break. <laughs> Trying to keep the house tidy and have dinner ready by the time Joseph comes back from his carpentry shop, when suddenly she hears a knock at the door. I'm not expecting anyone. Is this peas in my hair? This house is not ready for company. Then she answers it to find a group of tourists come to stare at her son. Not this again. They, however, don't see her untidy house and disheveled clothes, or at least they don't mention it. Instead, they see the toddling Christ child, the supposed savior of humanity. This is the promise of a religion that is not their own. And yet the first thing they do is bow in awe at this two-year-old's feet. Now, I've known a lot of two-year-olds, and bowing at their feet might be the last thing that I would recommend doing. <laughs> but this, this is a special two-year-old. These are wise people, and they know from special. So they present him with the gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh. This is probably more wealth than Mary has known in her entire life. And here are these strangers presenting it to her child. It's also more wealth than the mother in a mall and the night visitors has ever seen. If she could just have a handful of that gold. Her child is sickly. Her house is cold. They're dirty and they don't have much to eat. Just a handful would change their lives. So, Silently, while everyone is sleeping, she creeps over to the chest and reaches in to grab just a few coins. Everyone isn't asleep, though. 
Unbeknownst to her, the king's page has one eye open. And the moment that her fingers wrap around those coins, he grabs her hand. And about 10 minutes from the end of the show, sings his first and only line. Thief, thief, I've seen her steal some of the gold. She's a thief. Don't let her go. She's stolen the gold. Give it back or I'll tear it out of you. Give it back. Give it back. That was my only line. Thief, thief. And yet, I still believe that as I sat there in mostly stillness and silence, I was giving one of the best performances of my career. When's the last time you experienced silence? Listen. Do you hear that? Do you feel it? There's a power that exists in silence, in listening, in considering the alternative. In the early days of my time here at SMC, Pastor Megan shared with me in one of our supervision meetings the story of Dirk Willems. I think about the fear, the courage, the power, the voice of God, the still, small voice of God urging him to turn back, save this man against your own self-preservation for the betterment of humanity. Silently, the town of Dulafi took in the terrified children of France. Silently, Pastor Monnier of the town's large church listened to them talk about their nightmares. Silently, they fought against genocide. No one ever wore a yellow star in Dulafi. And no matter what your religion was, you had to go to Sunday school. It was compulsory and compulsory. It helps to keep up the charade. They created a family for these children, warm and welcoming and kind. The Germans were stationed only 20 kilometers from Dulafi. They were always a threat. So Dulafi stayed silent. If Jewish children had been out playing in the woods, for instance, and they saw a red blanket hanging from the balcony of the school, that was a sign to stay hidden. Don't come into town right now, it's not safe. The town's police would keep an ear out for news that the Germans were going to perform documentation checks, and the mayor provided official false identification documents and ration cards. Silently, they disobeyed 
and defended the other. 75% of all Jewish people in France survived the Holocaust. But in Dulafi, ah, not a single Jewish person of Dulafi was ever discovered. The Magi were wise people. They could smell a rat when one was in their midst. And if anyone was ever a rat, it was Herod. He didn't want to pay homage to Jesus. He felt threatened by him. Their suspicions were confirmed when an angel came to them, telling them not to report back to Herod as he had asked, but to take a different road. So, after presenting Jesus with their precious gifts, the story tells us that that's exactly what they did. They took another road back home. These people traveled two years. Come spend one evening with the Son of God. After doing so, silently, they began another two-year journey back home. Silence was important here. They couldn't cause a fuss, or else Herod might find them out too quickly. The Holy Family needed time to escape, and so did they, frankly. They were blatantly disobeying the king's orders. They listened in silence, and they protected the Messiah. As I've revisited this message for today's worship, I find myself thinking about and hurting for our neighbors on the street. And in our actions, I hope that we can find this, that same strength. The strength of Dirk Willems, of the town of Du of the Magi, to listen, to discern, to take action, to better humankind, and to silently give power to the oppressed. May it be so.